We are continuing in our study of ethics of our fathers, Pirkei Avos. We are using this green book, Arts World, um, which is the large Pirkei Avos edition. And we are up to chapter one, Mishnah three. Antigonos ish socho kivo mishimon atzadik. Antigonos, which is seemingly a Greek type of name, uh, the man of Soho, meaning name of a place, he received tradition from Shimon Atzadik. Um, this, by the way, we did this mission last time, I'm just kind of going to briefly review it and then go to number four. Don't be like servants that serve a master on condition to receive reward. Rather be like servants to serve a master, not on condition to receive reward. Should be upon you. So we explained last time that it's really a privilege to serve a person that is doing very important work. And the highest level is to feel a relationship and a bonding in the mission of the master and, and not to do it because of a particular reward that the service will provide, but rather because the mission is important and a relationship with both the mission and the master. We also talked about last time how master uh, doesn't really mean uh, what it sounds like it means because we have in our minds this idea of servitude and enslavement and really abuse of power. Very often master really means a person who's doing very important things. Um, in fact, the Hebrew word for a teacher or a rabbi is the same word as rath, that's master. So it means a person who has a proficiency and a um, particular mission in mind, hopefully a mission to serve the greater good. So, you know, we made those points last time. And that also the idea is that it should not be transactional, uh, but rather it should really be mission-based and relationship-based. Okay. Now let's go to Mishnah 4. And the commentary points out that the first three Mishnayos, uh, when it was talking about the transmission of the Torah, we eventually got to names of individuals. So even though we, let's say, started with Sinai and Moshe and then Yoshua and the elders and the prophets, we then said, well, Shimon HaTzadik was the remainder of the men of the Green Assembly as a single person. He used to say three things. And then we said, Antigonus Soho said something. So we had single people as the author. And here in Mishnah 4, we have a pair, Yosef ben Yoezer of Zereda and Yosef ben Yochanan, the man of Yerushalayim, they received from the earlier generations. So the commentary in the art school brings out that when Antigonos Isoho passed, and so to speak, passed the torch to the next generation, no longer were the Jewish people going to be led by one person in being, uh, you know, so to speak, the authority on everything. It actually is a position that was split into two, and the two kind of titles of this uh, breakdown is we had the Nasi, who is like the uh, political leader and the one who has to make sure that the Jewish calendar is set up properly. And then you have the Av Bastin, the one who would really be in charge of the Sanhedrin, the main judiciary court of the Jewish people. And so that's why we have now Yosef and Yoezer of Tzereda and Yosef and Yochanan, the man of Yerushalayim. Now we're going for pairs. So, the teaching of Yosef and Yoezer is, however, said only in his name. Yosef and Yoezer ish the Omer, he says, your, ha- your house or your home 
should be a gathering place for wise people. And a person should be dusty in the dust of their feet. I mean, sit by their feet uh, allegorically, you know, like really have a posture of humility and acceptance and, you know, a desire to learn from greater people. And drink thirstily their words. So Yosef ben Yuezer is advocating for a home to be open to wise people. The people in the home should really be seeking deeply and with humility the words of the sages that are there and in general, as well as to be very passionate about learning and to really have a thirst for it. Now, as we've been discussing, it seems that the rabbis who were in charge of the transmission of the Torah, they focused on certain critical elements that they felt would be a boost or a way to bolster the status and the level of the Jewish people of their generation. So it would seem to me that a very interesting emphasis is being put here on the home. It's describing not only to be humble, not only to study, but actually to have your home as a center for Torah study, because it says your home should be a place of gathering for the wise people. So my kind of uh, idea here is that what Yosef and Yosef are saying is that as the Jewish people were being Hellenized in the second temple, right, Antigonus is a Greek name, that a very special attention, careful attention needed to be paid to what was happening at home. And the reason is because home is really the main source of strength and stability for a person. And it's the main learning that a person really has. Uh, it's a home. It's not a coincidence that we refer both to a yeshiva and to a shul as base, which really means home. Base Knesses and base Medrash. Really has to be a place of dwelling where a person is inundated and constantly surrounded as though in a cocoon of education or proper values. And so I therefore would think that what Yosef and Yosef are saying is that it's not enough to be a student of the Torah or to even have relationships with teachers, but you have to have such a tremendous dedication to it that a person's home needs to be saturated that way, as well as a person's personal quest for study is so important if he really wants his family to grow healthfully that he is eagerly seeking the, the, the words of the rabbis and drinking it up at all possible opportunity. I think that that's a very relevant message for today. I think it's hard and most people, especially with the busyness of our lives and technology being the way that it is, I don't think many people are making home a center of Torah study. It's kind of like I work all day or maybe I do go learn at some point with a chavrusa or to a class, but to say that my home is a place where I'm trying to inundate my family with either wise people or teachings of Torah probably doesn't happen all that much, which would probably help to explain the population problem that we have and maintaining uh, Judaism not only uh, as a surviving entity, but as a thriving entity, because we're not nearly 
increasing in numbers the way that we should. And my suggestion is that this mission is actually coming to address that assimilation problem because that was becoming a problem at this period of the Second Temple. There were Jews that were becoming secular and they were losing, so to speak, the tradition that they had for close to a thousand years uh, prior to that. And his solution is that you really have to transform your home into a place of learning. Plus you have to combine that with humility and passion for Torah study. Questions or comments? Yes, Joseph, please. So on, on a practical level, the things what we are doing now, like we're getting together and learning with you, does it count as uh, having the home like a st study of aura? Or is it, you, it's more intimate, it has to be more intimate. No, I think that this is probably a, a really big fulfillment, especially if your wife is involved, which is really your home. You know, the Talmud says that a person um, rabbis would often not call their wife by the name. They wouldn't refer to her as wife or name. They would say home. My wife is my home. Mm. So I think that if you are studying at home, but especially when and if you involve your wife, that is making your house a place for Torah study. Now, some people are in the office. Some people, their office is at home. And some people are tired so they can you know, be home and study with their wife. Uh, but but I do think that, yeah, bringing it home this way is also very significant. And again, the other parts of it are equally, you know, kind of important. The, the, the passion, the humility, those are also very, very important elements. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice thank to have you. Being part you. Of home, Rabbi. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having all of us. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that uh, it, it really is true, as they say in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, the, the issues that the rabbis or sages were dealing with you know, thousands of years ago are, are the same issues that we're dealing with uh, today. Um, I also found this interesting to get that backstory on the progression from, from paragraph one through paragraph four and how the knowledge is transmitted and ultimately split. Um in this generation uh, was very interesting. And I think it gives some, some really great color to understand um, organizationally how the Jewish people have, have continued to evolve and, and um, change the organization yeah. uh, around the religion. Um, but, and, and, you know, to that, I think we've, we've discussed this in a number of cases of, of what you do in the home is ultimately what matters most. Yeah, very true. And, and what yeah. the kids see you doing is, is ultimately what matters most. So, yeah. Yeah, there, there's so much to be said on what you're bringing up and this whole Mishnah, but I do want to mention one other point, actually, from Rambam, from that general topic we were discussing uh, earlier, the laws of Deus, mindsets. He's, he learns that when the Mishnah over here says to become dusty, in the dust of their feet, what it really means is to become connected to the scholars, uh, ideally in providing business opportunities for them, engaging in all kinds of social interaction with them, and marrying your daughter to the daughter of a scholar. Right? So that is um, 
that is also you know a big big uh, way to become connected or let's say it differently to make the Torah study a true part of your life not just like an activity that maybe you do sometimes and in order for that to happen uh, we have these different suggestions uh, like the Mishnah says and the Rambam says but I think the real critical point is that if it's not an integral part of your life it doesn't really get passed down uh, that's really the point that I'm, I'm coming to say uh, one of the best things a person can do is study at home so that his children see that study is important. Even if he's not studying with his children, obviously even better is to study with your children. Okay. Next, Mishnah. Okay. Yosei ben Yochanan ish Yerushalayim Omer. So this was the other sage at the same time as Yosef ben Yoezer. He says, He too focuses on the home. He says, your home should be wide open. That means it should be available for all. And ideally, members of your household, in other words, a regular feature in your household, should be people that are poor, people that do not have. And do not converse excessively with a woman. And that's, by the way, said regarding one's own wife. Now, we're going to discuss that and various interpretations. It's very, very interesting. Kal v'chomer, all the more so, a fortiori, the eshes chavero, with the wife of a friend. So if your wife doesn't like the first part of this phrase, she's going to like the second part. Okay, so, so don't be talking excessively with one's own wife, and all the more so with the wife of a friend. Mikan amru chachamim, from here the rabbis have said, anybody who excessively converses with a woman, he causes evil for himself. And he nullifies himself, or kind of removes himself from the words of Torah. He neglects Torah study. And his end, so to speak, his bitter end, is to inherit Gehinom, otherwise translated as hell. So, obviously, this sounds a little edgy, to say the least. And unfortunately, much to my chagrin, there are people who kind of take this very literally. But let me give you just one commentary that's brought here in the art scroll from a recent Torah giant. His name is the Chazon Ish. And he says that this dictum, uh, by the way, he was uh, one of the founders of B'nai Brak, uh, meaning the modern day city of B'nai Brak, where, you know, it's a very, very religious uh, community. He says that this dictum about not increasing speaking to his own wife only refers to frivolous talk meant to incite improper behavior. Basically, the kind of speech that the rabbis are alluding to here, according to the Chazon Ish, is lightheaded, you know, don't take life so seriously kind of behavior, have fun, don't think that things are so meaningful. However, one who seeks to calm, soothe, or reassure one's mate, or express affection, is permitted and even encouraged to have a lot of that kind of talk. This is especially true of the initial stages of marriage, 
when emotional bonding must occur. I think that might be the art school's edition. I'm not sure exactly what the Chazonish says uh, himself, because I, I would find that to be important at all stages of marriage. And so I wouldn't limit it to that. Moreover, my father is very fond of quoting my namesake. My father named me for Rabbi Akiva Eger, a very famous Talmudic genius in the 1700s. And he himself wrote that he would spend hours every night discussing matters of heaven with his wife. So the idea that, you know, a person is going to take this literally, you know, okay, you got two minutes, more than that, I'm not allowed to do according to the rabbis, you know, the idea of that kind of a mindset is completely incorrect and really missing the point. And it's why, you know, learning really needs to be done with uh, great care and also with a teacher, you know, at least to have people to ask about things that one doesn't understand. So there is, I think, a takeaway from this Mishnah that there's a tendency, unfortunately, when members of the opposite gender converse with one another, it's not necessarily for good and important matters. There is such a tendency, and it could even be for, so to speak, frivolous fun, even to lead to improper behaviors. And the rabbis are being extremely cautionary about that and saying, even with one's own wife, that needs to be limited, uh, very, very limited. And all the more so with one's friend's wife, because that would really bring a person down a bad path leading to Gehinnom. And I think it's very important to take this teaching seriously. So whereas some people might say, look, you know, the rabbis are a little extreme sometimes let's not really pay attention to this mission. I say the opposite. The rabbis are right on point. You have to be extremely careful as to what is the purpose in a conversation with a member of the opposite gender. If it's important and good, yeah, go for it. Okay, that's a really good and important thing to do, especially with one's wife, right? But if it's not, then even with one's wife, it needs to be limited. And if it's not with one's wife, and it's not the good, kind, healthy, important for a, a meaningful purpose kind of speech, it very quickly can lead to hell. And tell me that you disagree because you don't know of stories like that. Right? We all do, right? So the rabbis are very, very realistic is the point. Now, one last point, and then I'll get to uh, questions or comments, is that the word sicha is very interesting. The word sicha, which is the Hebrew word here for speaking, it doesn't say words. It doesn't say a normal, you know, it doesn't say altarbe words. Don't increase words with a woman. It says specifically sicha. And my father says that sicha is a word that says, I want a social connection. Now, unfortunately, very often people want a kind of um, superficial social connection. Many people are looking for light relationships. They, it doesn't require much from them. They don't require a lot from a lot of people. And it's just like, you know, shooting the breeze. It's not meaningful, but they feel better because, you know, yak, 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 you know, there's another human being that's interacting with me. That, that can very easily lead to improper kinds of speaking and behaviors. And so I think that the word sicha is just a, a good word to focus. We don't just mean words. Important conversations are important, 
and they have to be, and sometimes not only have to be done, but they need to be elaborated on and done it, you know, to a large, large amount. Okay, that's what I wanted to mention. Anyone else? Questions or comments? What, what's the root of the word sikha? So there's a Hebrew word for grass or vegetation yeah. that the Torah uses in Genesis. That's the same word, siach. So there's like excessive amounts, like a, like a, like a carpet of grass or vegetation across the earth. So there's like an implication of abundance and um, I don't know, the word is free or, you know, something that's maybe common. And we're not, you know, that's not necessarily important speech. Okay. Good with that, Mishnah? Everybody's good? Then we're good. So let's uh, see 1212. Um, you know what? The, the next one is a little bit deep. So we're going to wait on the next one. Let's go to the Baratara. Okay. Okay, bye. Thank you, Joe. Let's press stop.